That's pretty amazing. Sandra, you keep killing it up there. Uh, if we wanted to have our young people go downstairs, Miss Kiki's got some wonderful, wonderful things for you guys. It's be a great time. Gosh, it's so amazing. We're going to be talking about the walls falling down, and <clears throat> what a beautiful worship time. And uh, Man, God's here right now. You don't have to wait till the end of service, by the way, to get anything for him. You know that? Isn't that neat? He's a right now God. Um, if you, How many are waiting for some walls to fall down in your life today? Amen. How many, how many here are waiting for some walls to fall down? We're good, only half the people in here. All right, Every, the rest have breakthrough in everything in their life. No, it's... Uh, Really amazing how God works and um, how powerfully He displays Himself to us um, in the opportunities that are given to us in the midst of pain and problems. And uh, we're going to talk about the fall of Jericho. Uh, you know, I noticed with these stories, and they're not stories, these were real life events that happened. These weren't little fairy symbolic kind of things. Um, these were real events. Jericho was a real fortified city, it's one of the oldest cities. Um, in the history of the world, and uh, it was a fortified city. In fact, historians say that the city itself uh, enclosed only about seven acres, the city was. It was an enclosed area, and, uh, but it was a key point of victory for the children of Israel to go into the Promised Land. Uh, this, was, this would be a huge campaign for them to defeat um, the king of Jericho. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you could turn to Joshua chapter 6, Starting with verse 1. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1. Some things that I want us to understand today is, is getting kind of a fighting mindset. I think what happens for us in the battles that we face uh, there becomes a defeated spirit for us, and we kind of go through life humdrum, and we think that some people are winners, some people are born winners, and some people are born losers. And, uh, you know, it kind of, we get into that mode that, well, you know, it's, it, for them it works, but for me it really doesn't. The God who did miracles for them, that was one thing, but the God who does miracles, that's not really going to happen in my life. And so I want us to get on the wagon, if you will, of victory and getting a fight in us. Joshua 6, verse 1, it says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. I want you to grab that right now. They were, they were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign priests to walk in front of it, carrying, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horn started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns, and some behind the ark, with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, and then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns behind the ark, of the Lord. At this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six 
days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed. As an offering to the Lord, only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Remember the story of Rahab? Do not take any of these things, set apart for destruction, or yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, and bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle and sheep, goats and donkeys. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, Oh, you are wonderful. We have initiated. Yeah, she's an initiator. Good job. Uh, they completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, Keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her family. The men who had been spies went and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua invoked this curse. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up his gates. The Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation spread throughout the land. Isn't that powerful? What an amazing thing that God does, and he is faithful. We talked about Rahab. Here, this unlikely candidate, this person no one would ever plan. Not only was she spared... But her family was spared, and it said all the others who were with her in her house. I have no idea, but I'm sure Rahab knew a lot of people and had a lot of friends and relatives, and I'm sure that house was stacked in the gills with people who, by the way, were saved not as a result of their faith, but as a result of her faith. That's where we get the promise where it says, you and your household shall be saved. It's amazing what one person who is bought into the faith and said, God, I am all in. It's amazing how all others get the pour over of blessing as a result of that person's faith. And they see the example, and they go after Christ as a result of it. So don't give up if you're the only one of faith in your house. You just keep them in your house. <laughs> Start fighting. I believe oftentimes we don't fight. You know why I don't think we fight? Because we don't believe we can win. I think the way we don't fight. I think the other reason we don't fight is because it takes work. I think some people are afraid they will never win, and some people are afraid to work. I don't know about you, how many of you would rather kind of sit around and let everything just happen, right? I would. And there are times in our lives where we get defeated. Even this week, I remember wrestling, and I tell you, in the shower, I'll be sitting there putting the soap on the hair, and it's just amazing how many thoughts and self-defeating thoughts will come in your mind, won't it? You know, for me as a pastor, I'll just share with you, sometimes I'll just get into those modes. Again, I share this with you every once in a while, but it's just amazing how the enemy attacks at opportune times are like. It's not like the random attacks. When he attacks, folks, when the enemy attacks, he will attack you at very specific moments of your life. And a lot of times it's when you're down, it's when you're out, and he finds an entry point, he says, well, I'm going to take advantage of that moment for your life. But being self-defeated, in other words, you haven't even picked up your sword to fight and you've already laid the cards out and said, there is no victory for me in my life. Start believing you're a winner in God's eyes. Here's why I want you to start believing that for your circumstance. Because you're the apple of God's eye. You're not a bum. You're not a sleaze. You're not whatever title that you came up with or your family came up with for you. How many of you grew up in households and people gave, you don't have to raise your hand, but people gave you nicknames and stuff based on your weakness or whoever you were. This would make fun of you. Isn't it funny how we just make fun of people and their weaknesses? Isn't it funny how to rub it in? 
We prey on people. We'll laugh at them. Me and my wife were talking about this. You know, it's something as simple as this. I think one time Mike was over at my house one day and we were watching it. I think I got it from Mike. America's Funniest Home Videos. And we're like, everyone's laughing at people's own stuff. Ha ha, they just fell on their face. Wasn't that funny? I think a lot of times we don't think of victory for us because we're common folk. We think that person over there, that special, has victory. Stephen Mansfield kind of wrote about this. He was talking about the heroes. He said history kind of has messed it up. People have kind of rewrote history of what they want to say. They kind of have a a stained glass approach to the heroes of the faith and life. You know, you think about all of the heroes, and I'll explain to you in a second. I want to read something to you for his book on manly men, and we're going to be going into Father's Day weekend, so this is great for all of us. But he says, gentlemen, let me free you from a burden, a burden of history you think you know. We have all been done a great disservice. We've been taught what I call the statue of history. By this I mean we have been taught a version of history that presents the heroes of the past as moral giants who fell flawless from the womb, who achieved fame almost effortlessly. It hasn't served us well. No one meant to do damage. Our history teachers probably thought they were simply honoring the great men and women of our past. Yet most of them gave us statues rather than human beings. Unscarred giants who achieved and conquered as though there was never any question of their destiny. It isn't so. Hear me, it is a lie. The great heroes of the past you've grown to admire were all pitiful human beings whom we remember only because they declared war on some part of their pitifulness. If we don't know this, we are destined to believe that some people are destined to be great, but most of us aren't, and those who aren't should settle down and do our duties and shelf whatever dreams make our hearts race. Let me go on to continue with the battle you face right now and the situation you have in hand. God had declared to Joshua, he said this, he said, Joshua, I've given you victory. Joshua, I've given you victory. Stephen Manfields go on to write these great people. John Wesley, anybody ever heard of John Wesley? John Wesley's friend comes to his house. This is well-documented. Fred picked him up for a meeting to see only John's wife literally dragging him around the house by his hair. Anybody ever heard of Abraham Lincoln? Abraham Lincoln, it was well known that he fought depression and had had occasional suicidal thoughts. People around him said he was a manic depressive person. Grief haunted him all of his days. And yet God used him for great things. Folks, I want to tell you that you can do great things with all the problems you have right now. He hit someone in the arm and said, you can do great things even with your problems. Stephen Mansfield writes this. Why don't we teach details like this? The whole truth about great leaders in our schools. Wouldn't it help to keep, help kids with problems, which is to say all of them, understand that they can achieve too? That they aren't irreparable misfits because they have a few challenges? You've got a few challenges today. I want to put in your heart right now the idea and the opportunity that God is speaking to you even with your problems, even with the chaos, even with the situations, that God stands before you today and I will be His mouthpiece and say, I have given you victory over your stuff. Turn to someone real quick and say, I've got some challenges I'm facing. Young person, today I want you to know that you might be facing some struggles in your mind. You might be facing some struggles in your heart. You might be facing some situations wherever you're at. But you are not forgotten and God has victory for you. Some are not predestined for greatness. And these little people over here, they are just my servants and just working my tasks and forget about the dream. We don't dream. We're just, we're dutifully serving God. Hey, Joshua, I have given you victory. 
Isn't it interesting? He had to start with a leader. He didn't go to the least in the camp, if you will, in the tribes. He went right to the head. Because how many of you know sometimes us leaders are pretty hard-headed and we aren't sure we got victory? Think of an amen there. Some of us leaders get really hard-headed and stubborn because we just use patterns of circumstances and we do all our little advisory boards and all of our situations and whatever we do and we don't even believe for total victory. Folks, I want to tell you today with your attack, you're going to have to pick up your sword and fight your attack. I was talking to a guy this last week at work. I was on the job and he was talking about his daughter's situations and problems. He said she really deals with depression and everything. He said she's been to counselor after counselor after counselor after counselor, and it just doesn't seem to be helping. And I want you to know there's a great counselor that will offer a whole lot of help, and it's the Holy Spirit. But the challenge that I give to you today in your progression and going forward and saying, I'm willing to fight because life is worth it. I'm willing to fight because victory is worth it. You're going to have to speak out against your attacks and throw them on the table and be open to the idea that now I'm going to engage this. How many of you, you kind of tabled your problems before in life, you packed them up and said, forget about it. Forget about it. It's not worth the battle. It's not worth the fight. And we compromise, and we even compromise with the enemy with the terms on how the victory occurs. And isn't it interesting, not only did the Lord say, and this is where the Lord's really good, He's very specific to details in your life. He will bring you victory through the most foolish ways in your life. If Joshua sat down with his generals and said, how are we going to take this fortified walled city? Do you think that they would have come up with this plan? By the way, people say, well, there was some kind of great earthquake that occurred at the very same time that the walls came down. And I love how this earthquake worked in such a way where Rahab's house was the only house that was safe. That was quite an earthquake, you ninny-moggins. <laughs> Logically, an earthquake had. Folks, it's actually, archaeological digs have proven that the walls actually fell straight down. You know, it's kind of funny, me and Hunter are talking about the validity of the Bible and how important the Bible We're going on a rabbit trail now, let's just go there. The Bible, how important it is, and the progress where you don't look at this as a cute little Sunday school thing. Oh, the kids are cute, the little walls. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. You know, we do all that, and it's great for the children, but adults wake up to the power of the walls falling down in your life right now. Wake up to the power that, do you know what archaeological digs will do in the Middle East? They don't grab a report over here, a report over there. They're carrying Bibles along with them. Not Christian archaeological dig people. Atheists and people who are just interested in history. They use this ancient artifact because it's right. Trust in the Lord. And trust in His wisdom. That even though it looks silly right now and you don't understand the attack, you understand victory will happen. Now it might not happen in your time. It might not happen in your context of what you think your time should be. But you need to start doing this in the middle of your battle. Let me give you this. It's a simple thing. Are you ready? You want to say, okay, how do I start getting victory in my life? Because I have to do this too. I have to put my shoes on and I have to fight my own mental battles. Are you ready? Start pronouncing victory in your own life. That was powerful. Pronounce victory in your own life. Your trumpet today, the priests, when they walked around once a day, for those seven days, or those six days, the priests were blowing the trumpet. It was a ram's horn. And it had a sound of jubilee, which was victory, but it also sounded as a warning to the people in Jericho saying, I'm coming for you. When you blow your trumpet and you pronounce victory, not in yourself, how many have tried to fight battles yourself and you failed miserably at it? You tried this and you tried that and you finally fall at the feet of Jesus and you realize that I can't fight these victories on my own. I can't fight these battles on my own. Here's what I want you to start saying. You ready? You need some talk, you need some self-talk. Because how many of you know we all talk to ourselves, don't we? We talk to ourselves. 
You might not see the lips moving, but you're talking to yourself about your junk right now. In fact, some of you right now are thinking about your junk, thinking I'm a complete buffoon talking to you about this stuff. But if you're unwilling to face the giant, to face the wall, however you want to symbolically approach it, and you've admitted defeat, then you will not have victory. You will not have sovereignty somehow fall in your lap. Osmosis will not happen. You know how you get victory? You pronounce victory. You start right there. You have that thought come in your head that says, you know what, you're defeated, this is going on, and you'll never change this, it'll never get this, it'll never go after that. You can start with great things. Greater is He. Let's say it like we mean it now. Okay, start right there. That's beautiful, isn't it? You start right there. You don't need to worry about it. You know, the Bible says, let the weak say I am strong, and let the poor say that I am rich. You might circumstantially be going through things, but God is completely the opposite God of what your circumstance may be right now. Your circumstances will never line up for the will of God necessarily just how you think it will be. I want you to start saying this. You want victory in your mind right now? You want victory in your mind? Say, I am the apple of God's eye. Say, I am wonderfully made. I, I, you don't have to say that. I just know. I am more than a conqueror. We want victory, don't we? And I don't mean just uh, more than a conqueror. Uh-huh. He's the apple of my eye. I'm the apple of his eye. I don't know. Is he really? I don't know. You're going to have to start making statements. Like with exclamation point statements. Like with another exclamation point statement. And you're going to have to be very explicit and the understanding and saying, I'm going to be attacking after this. One of the things you're going to have to do in pronouncing victory, and here's your first battle, you're going to have to start dealing with your memory. How many how many got memory issues in here? You forget stuff, get short-term memory loss. But how many of you know you really don't have short-term memory loss with the bad things in your life? Can I get a hearty amen? Some of us say, man, if I wish I could just forget that thing that went on in my life. I wish I could forget this. We, will, we want to have memory loss. We, we, we can't remember the things we want to remember, but the things we don't want to remember, we remember all the time. And we rehearse it. And it's a treadmill of life that we get on. We have memories that we go through. And you know what? It doesn't take a whole lot of those memories to mess your life up, does it? Start to deal with your memory. Francis Frangipane wrote this. What we call memory is actually our spirit gazing at the substance of our soul. With few exceptions, those events which we remember the most have shaped us the most. So you're going to have to make a decision about what memories you're going to allow to shape your life and how they shape your life. Folks, you're going to have to learn to not look back. You say, well, how can I change that? Well, obviously, Francis Francis Payne said this. I love this. Although the events of our lives are irreversible, our reactions to those events can still be changed. See, how you react to stuff is all the difference in the world. It's funny how people kind of just, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, our Bible declares. You know, you'll watch people and things like that, and like the cream rises to the top when bad things are going on. And you realize those people who are truly into the kingdom of God and this stuff, when bad stuff happens, they're not sitting there flying their finger at God saying, you jerk, why did you do this to me? They're faithful in the middle of the wilderness, and they're understanding that God's timing and season, He's going to get us through this. Turn this over and say, He's going to get us through this. Now, I was watching a guy, and it's simple things. I was watching this older gentleman. He was trying to put the shopping carts in the corral, and I'm sitting there watching him. And how many of you know, like in the sporting events, you can see the sports guys when they're talking trash to each other? You can see they're saying really spicy terms. Can I get an amen there? Well, this guy, he's put the shopping cart in there, and I won't tell you or mimic what he said, but he had a few choice words for that shopping cart. <laughs> he couldn't get it out, and I'm sitting there watching him like, this is just a shopping cart. Imagine if a real event was happening in this guy's life. I mean, come on, folks. I want you to go up to him and say, 
Don't blame the shopping cart, buddy. I wanted to put a blessing and sprinkle something on a shopping cart to give it life back. It's not the shopping cart's fault. It's your fault. But how do we do that with life? Don't we curse things? Out of the, Jesus said this. He said, out of the same mouth that's blessing, out of the other side of the mouth, we curse man and we bless God. What are we doing? You're not pronouncing victory in that right now when you're cursing. There's no victory there in your attitude and your spirit of it. Man, I, I, I understand you jammed your finger and life got you on a detour right now, but you don't have to curse stuff right now. Just maybe stop and pull over. Rod had that great video up today. Look at something that gets your mind off the junk and pull a flower up and say, I'm going to smell some roses right now. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to get some muscle memory in your life changed. You know they have those muscle memory games so that you can relearn and stuff, but you're going to have to change the way you react to the junk in your life. I'm preaching to me too, folks. As our reactions change, so will we. So will you. Turn to someone who can say, I need to react differently. This is hitting home, isn't it, folks? Isn't it good to get some medicine? You know, we all run to the doctors for that. Isn't it great to get medicine for your soul? You know, we all run to the doctors and say, fix this and fix that. Imagine if we did the same thing with Jesus. Jesus, I need to be honest with you. I've got this condition and this problem. God, I need help there. But you know what? We all medicate ourselves. We like to fix ourselves. We like to fix this and manipulate that. Imagine if we treated Jesus like the great physician he is and say, I got problems with this, I got problems with this memory issue, I got this situation, I'm reacting horrible to this. God, I need to have victory thoughts in my life once again. Trying to get us out of a self-defeated mode. No, don't, I want to get out of that. Think right now of the event in that memory, that wall. Through Christ, you can start to react differently. Your thought life, can you can love differently. Folks, you can even forgive differently. You say, well, what I thought forgiving is forgiving. No, how many of you know you for, some of us forgive conditionally? Well, I will forgive them as long as they come to me and ask for forgiveness very specifically for that particular thing and that word and write the notes specifically this way and then and only then will I forgive. start to hear the sound of walls coming down. You will start to hear as you start to pronounce victory in areas of your life where you were self-defeated. See, you thought when you came in here today that you were defeated. No, you're not defeated. You're not defeated. But what about this? And what about you're not defeated? Do you want to keep reacting the same way you do to the junk in your life? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. God's just not answering anything for me. God's not doing anything for me. The last four years have been horrible. This is so horrible. Everything stinks in my life. Victory! not going to get it. God, God can't do that. God can't hit you in the head and change your mind. You can't. You have to put his mind out. Changing the way we react to these strongholds will change us. John Bevere writes this, and this is the hard part for the gospel, and this is what it is. The American gospel icky, yucky, stupid religion. But now, learning to follow Christ, now this is something. John Bevere writes, in order to know Him, we must change. In order to know God, you've got to change. Changes that bring us closer to Him often are not easy, but they are always good. Often we resist change because it affects our comfort level. If you need change in your talk, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. Because how many of you know it's a whole lot easy to keep your hands in your pocket and just try to say, I'm not doing nothing. If they don't change, then I'm not changing. How many have been there before? Come on. Not working!
So Joshua realizes that there was a lot of murmuring and there was a lot of complaining in the camp. Now God didn't say, go tell the people to do this. It's interesting how the Spirit of Christ rises in Joshua. He picks up on something and he says, now listen folks, listen right now, listen good to me. Don't anyone utter a word until we shout on that final day. No one say a word. Say nothing. Remember all the murmuring and complaining that happened? The generation that fought before them couldn't enter the promised land. It wasn't because of grave sins. We all think of these naughty, nasty sins. But you know what kept them out of the promised land? They're murmuring and they're complaining. Well, pastor, I'm a good person. I do this and I do that. If you're murmuring and complaining, God ain't going to want to hear it. And you're going to miss out on a lot of blessings in life if all you're gabbing on is all the nasty stuff going on. God doesn't like murmuring and complaining. And I think with, when it comes to church and moving forward with the body of Christ, God can't use people who refuse to quiet themselves and allow God to speak things that are completely opposite of what's going on. Isn't it the hardest things to do? It's not just quieting your mouth. Isn't it also hard to quiet your mind? So it's not just not talking Many of us say, well, I'm not going to say a word. We bite our tongue. I, I'm glad that you bite your tongue because the Bible says even a fool seems wise when he doesn't talk. So it's good, but that didn't change the fool from being a fool. Did it? it just made it seem like that. The fool was still the fool. He just seemed wise. So you might seem wise by biting your tongue with circumstances going on around you. Oh, I'm not going to say anything. By the way, it's really good. Unless someone asks you for help, don't give help. We see problems going on, and we're carrying our little bandage kit around. You know, Jesus didn't heal everyone. How do you think you're going to heal everyone? And in your family problems and your family struggles, sometimes it's really good with the stuff going on. And this is the hardest thing for me. My wife really bounced me out because I'm the quiet one in our, in our house. <laughs> but sometimes it's okay just to just let it, let it ride. It's okay, you don't have to put this out and do that. And some of us are going through life and, oh no, this fire here, that fire there, and, oh no, we got to put this out. It's crazy, it spills over and it starts to add fuel to this. And have you ever noticed you just move quickly into those things and it's actually adding more fuel to the fire? Sometimes it's the hardest thing to do is to quiet our minds. Joshua instructs the people, nor shall a word proceed from your mouth. I'm going to give you this today too. Stop the demoralizing talk. Stop the demoralizing talk. You're in a battle. There's no denying that. So I'm not, we're not denying the fact that you're in a battle. Just stop the demoralizing talk. The self-deprecating, I'm a victim talk. Zig Ziglar wrote this. The most influential person who will talk to you all day is you. So you should be very careful about what you say to you. What are you saying to you? What are you saying? I want to offer you this after you've pronounced victory and after you've received the word of the Lord for your life that, hey, I can have victory in this. Now, again, you can't change people, but you can change you. And you can become more and more like Christ as you you know, metamorphosize, the Bible declares, that we become more and more like Him. But you have got to start being careful about what you say to yourself all day. Stop for a moment, by the way, analyzing and figuring out all your present circumstances, how you did this wrong, and how you could have done this better. Can we just get to the point where it is what it is, and I can't do anything to do anything about that? Is that okay sometimes? We overanalyze. Well, I should have done this, and man, I didn't say that right. And if I would have just been over here more, can we stop with the, with the manipulating and changing? If I just, oh my gosh, I'm sorry to poor people, I'm just going to put this here. I, I don't like that there more. Let's look at that. Maybe if that would have been better. No, no, what do you guys think about it? You know, man, you start asking people about your life, people will mess you up. Well, I like the cups over here. I don't know. Let's just 
put this here. I like it here, and I like the bread here. What do you think? I don't know. When we start doing this with life, and we analyze and we overanalyze, Searcy writes this in Tongue Pierced. He said, don't let your thoughts run on autopilot. Are some of our thoughts on autopilot? You know, because we think any thought that comes into our head must be a good thought. Or an accurate thought. Maybe not a good thought, but it's accurate because I'm thinking it. Well, see, 2 Corinthians kind of slaps that thought in the face. Because 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So that means the thoughts that come into my head, they may not be from God. Hmm. So when I'm quieted, I bit my tongue, I'm seeming wise right now, but I've got a whole lot I want to say. Well, that's where you have to take that next step in your analyzation of your problem, and you have to go to God and say, God, I am giving you these thoughts right now. This thought, just because I'm thinking it, doesn't mean it's from you. Just because I'm rehearsing this and I've been dealing with it for a long time, does not mean it's right. So you're going to have to turn your thought life off autopilot, because many of us, we're not saying what we want to say all the time, but we're sure thinking what we want to think all the time. That's where you get to be a whitewash too. You look good on the outside, and you're saying all the right stuff, but on the inside, your heart's far from God. Are you still in your heart right now? Because until you're still, you will never hear God speak. You say, God speaks today? Absolutely. He speaks through signs and He speaks through wonders. He gives prophetic words. He gives prophetic insights. He speaks through billboards. He speaks through donkeys. He speaks through your kids. He speaks through your cat. And yes, that rhyme. That was so amazing, the transition there. Paul declared, I pray that God, the source of all hope, will fill you completely with joy and with peace because you trust Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, I, want to, I pray that God fills you up today. My prayer is for everyone in here that we are so full of the Holy Spirit that we spill over and we see miraculous things happen around us because of the flowing of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our hearts. Not because of some logical thing and committing to these ten steps and our church has got a good program here. No, I just want people to sense and know the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives and they'll say, God is real. Matthew Elliott writes this, How much standing on tiptoes, butterflies in the stomach, latch onto it like a vice grip hope do you have for the things God says are in your future? How many of us still have the butterflies and the anticipation that God's up to something and is going to do something? 
You know, I challenge you in your thought progressions here, too. Me and my wife, we pray every week, and we pray specifically on Sundays for this day to be a day that God does something completely unique and completely different and move in a very powerful way in our lives. Are you filled with kind of an anticipation or, or a dread? I encourage you to build hope in your life today. Matthew Elliott writes, hope is an active, living emotion. You know, it's kind of crazy each day. It's never said necessarily that Joshua gave people the whole battle plan for that whole six days. More than likely what happened is as each day people committed to obedience, the next day Joshua gave the same instruction over and over and over again. And can you imagine as you're walking around your situations, and you're looking in life and you're saying, and this is why being quieted and quieting yourself to God and allowing something other than your own thoughts to come in and your own opinion about stuff. Think about it as you're marching around your stuff and you're just quiet. Just still. Maybe you didn't make the decision finally to open your Bible up and read and receive from the Lord as opposed to figuring out what Matthew Henry says for today. See what the Holy Spirit has to say to you. I'm glad for Matthew Henry's in town, but I want God to speak to me, Steve Lapp. I don't want Matthew Henry, I want Steve Lapp. And maybe as opposed to grabbing more doctrinal truth, so we can be more grounded. We're plenty grounded, folks. We need to run that. We're, we're, we're cemented. See, our truth, we're getting more truth. And we can't even... I'm marching! Just a minute, Pastor! Let me grab one more truth, because I haven't figured the Bible out yet. I haven't figured life out yet. i got a problem over here. When we all figure out that we are all got a bunch of hot messes going on in life, it's going to get a lot of fun when we start marching around the problems. And then comes the amazing part. Sandra, why don't you come up here and start playing, if you will. There's an amazing thing that Joshua does. He said, on that seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times. And on that seventh time around, I'm going to have you do something amazing. They're going to blow the trumpet, and then I want everyone to shout. Now, folks, for something in here in our life, you know, we get really quiet and reserved in the church. And it's really sad. It really is. It should be filled with emotion. It should be filled with a sense of anticipation. I was singing some of those songs. And you know, this is another great part and a good side of memory. Isn't it great to have memories? Because some of those songs kind of wash you back to those great memories and times. I was singing that one last song, and it gets me every time because that was a song I sang in Siberia. And it was a beautiful time with those Russians as we were in, in Siberia singing that song. So it gets me every time. It brought me back to that place. And you know what that place was? It was a place of anticipation that God's up to something and he's doing things. And I just, by golly, wanted to be a part of it. Some of us, we've coached God, telling God how to fix this and when to fix that. And all I want you to do today is shout. You've been quiet for too long. You've been reserved for too long. Been sitting on your hands too long. Wondering, will we have victory? Oh no, the world's going up in flames. You're going to have to learn to shout in the face of defeat. You're going to have to learn to shout and get your voice back because you have submitted to an enemy that you were never supposed to submit to. You have allowed life circumstances to dictate to you that you're defeated. And God is saying today that you have victory. And I'm not going to do the hand raising, all this kind of stuff. But I am going to say today that if you want victory, we're going to do a big shout. And in that shout, here's what I want to do. 
Well, Pastor, what if people in here don't know Christ? If you don't know Christ today, I'm going to tell you this. Your shout will be a declaration that you need Christ in your life. Okay? Is that good? I need Jesus. You're shouting, I need Jesus. And if you're a believer today, and you've bought into the dialogue, and your thoughts have been on autopilot, and you've seen a wall, and you said it will never come down, this is an opportunity for you to shout. But I don't want Baptist shouts up in here today. I don't want Presbyterian shouts. I want people full of the Holy Ghost shouting like radical, crazy folks. Can we do that? No golf clapping. Because in heaven, it's going to be loud. Full of jubilee. Full of excitement to see Jesus. You know, if anything, the victory that we have, if you can settle on anything, you say, man, life's at the end, all this kind of stuff that's crazy here, you still have victory because eternity is yours. And heaven is yours. You have victory all the time. I'm going to pray real quick, and if we could all stand. Just close our eyes for a moment. Father God, I thank you for this morning. And Lord, we don't receive the pronouncement from the enemy that says we are defeated. We don't accept even our own thoughts that have been on autopilot for too long. We accept the word of the Lord. And God, you have a dream and a vision and a future and a hope for us. Even in the darkest of moments, even in the darkest of dungeons, when walls face us. Lord, I pray that we would allow those thoughts to come in, that we would start making victorious pronouncements over our life right now. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You are no longer defeated. You are victorious this day. And you can't leave here naive anymore. And yes, the walls are big. And yes, they are thick. But I have given you victory. And I'm a light in the darkness for you. With every head up in the hair, every eye closed right now. Watch your heads up right now. Sometimes we just, you know, we bow all the time, and that's fine. I want you to kind of get the light of Jesus over you right now. I want you to think of that defeated, that most defeated moment in your life where you got, whether it was the uppercut that punched you square in the chin or you got punched in the gut from the enemy. And you thought this was it. You thought this was the one, the memory, the moment. And I want you and I on the count of three, we're going to shout. Are you ready? One. We're going to yell Jesus, okay? One, two, three. Jesus! Amen. The name above every name. And don't you forget it. The name above every name. Father, we call on your name today, for it's the name every knee shall bow and every tongue confesses. Yes. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes. And the gods of this world and the gods in our home and the strongholds come down before you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Demons flee at the mention of your name. And many have been under demonic assault. And we speak victory. And we don't accept the terms, nor the conditions. Yes. Call out to Jesus, and the Bible declares that you will be saved. Amen. Not a special prayer. Not something out of a textbook but a heartfelt cry out to Jesus. 
Oh, for those who would burn for him. Oh, for those whose hearts would be hot. Oh, for those who would choose the blessing over the cursing. Oh, for those who would pronounce victory once again. Oh, for those who would quiet themselves and be still. Oh, for those who would stand before the Lord and declare the word of the Lord to a dying world. Oh, for those who could care less about those around them and what they think and suppose and would do it anyways. Oh, for the spirit like Joshua. Oh, for the shout once again. We've been quiet too long. We've been still too long. We've been sitting too long waiting for some hero to show up. Oh, thank you, God, for the Rahabs who saved her whole household because she protected the spies. Today, Lord, I pray that the walls as they come down and houses in this church that houses would be free places once again where the freedom of Christ would ring and the words of the Lord would go forth out of the mouths of children and out of the mouths of grown-ups and that the word of the Lord would be taken above the words of men and that tables would have people again praying as a family. And our interests would be more in the kingdom of God rather than the cultures of men. Father, we've shouted today. And in that simple shout, Father, I pray that the evidence of your presence will be made known. That testimonies come back of people filled with hope of the challenges they face and the breakthroughs to come and to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Love you people. Love you a bunch. Now let's go party, huh, with Norma? What do you think? I love you guys. Let's, let's party with Norma.